Well, we continue on in our series uh, through First John. We are going uh, slow and steady walking through this series, and we have entitled it Follow Me because it is a book, First John is, of stark contrast. We talk about good versus evil. We talk about light versus dark. And tonight we're talking about uh, sin versus those who don't practice sin. And over and over and over, uh, John says the words practice sin, practice sin, practice sin, if you practice sin. And so tonight, um, the topic for us as we walk through verses 4 through 10 of chapter 3 is that the children of God hate sin. Last week, we talked about how we are children of God. That's the whole point of this book, was to refute some false teachers who were convincing uh, the local church at Ephesus, where John did most of his ministry. Um, They were trying to be assured of their faith by John, uh, because they had started to believe that these, these false teachers uh, had deceived them into believing them. Maybe they weren't saved. Maybe they didn't really know Jesus. And so John was saying, listen, you can be sure that you are a child of God, that you are born again. And so tonight we're talking about, uh, in that context, how to know that you're a child of God, we're talking about uh, sin. And not just whether you should or not. We know, obviously, we should not. But I want to take a step further and say, children of God should hate sin. We should hate sin. Now, this is going to be a night where this is probably going to be more hellfire and brimstone than, than you're used to uh, with me. This is going to be, for those of you who grew up in that kind of church, this is going to be a little flashback for you. Um, but this is, this is important. Uh, this is one of those deals that um, I think needs to be confronted in every one of our lives. Because let me ask you, knowing that each one of us in this room struggle with sin, Right, whether you're a believer or not, we we know we struggle with sin. How do you feel about your sin? Now, some would just say it don't matter how you feel; just repent. Right? But, but but I think that's important. How do you feel about your sin? About the things that you know you're doing that uh, are disobeying God's will and His word? Because I would I would argue that you can't ever say I love God if you can't also say I hate sin. You, you can't say I love God without saying I hate sin. You can't be indifferent towards sin and have a healthy relationship with God because as we're going to find out, the cross has no power for you if you don't hate sin. If you don't hate sin, you see, naturally, this is what children do. They take on the loves and the hates of their father, right? In November, when Silas had his third birthday, um, he got a little bug box, right? You ever have one of those little bug boxes where you can collect bugs and, and analyze them and look at them? I had one when I was a kid, and so when he got this, I was explaining how cool this was. I was like, dude, this is going to be awesome. We can collect all kinds of bugs, and before you know it, he was putting bugs in them, and he was like, this is cool, daddy. This is awesome. He started to love it. Well, then, out of nowhere, we started getting those little um, Asian beetle things. They look like ladybugs, but they're not. For whatever reason, they started coming uh, through our big glass window, our big picture window, windows in the front. And now, even in the wintertime, whenever it's like 50, 60 degrees outside, a couple of them will pop out. You're like, where are they coming from? Like, I just despise these things. And if you try crunching them, they start to stink. And it's like more just follow after. You're like, oh my gosh, I've I've never had like a bug infestation. This is, this is nasty. It's gross. And so I find myself, when Silas will, will see a couple of those bugs, he'll say, Dad, those bugs, those ladybugs are back. And I'll say, oh, them stinking ladybugs. What are we going to do? Get stinking and now he walks around and he says, Dad, them stinking ladybugs are around. Get those stinking ladybugs. Crush those stinking ladybugs. Why? Because he has learned to hate what I hate. He loves what I love and he hates what I hate. And as children of God, We find that maturity in the faith is loving what God loves and hating what he hates. If you look at even the last 90, 100 years of our culture, you'll see us move down this progression when it comes to our views towards sin. You look at even the 1930s, 40s, 50s, it would have been taboo for you to partake in particular sins in our culture, right? We had this general idea, not everyone, but general idea that that sin is bad. It should be ostracized. People who partake in sinful things, like it shouldn't be a normal part of society. Then you got the 1960s and the, the 70s where we're a little bit more open-minded, right? So we go from hating sin to being okay with sin. And when you're okay with sin, 
you become open to sin. And then the culture changes more, and you look at even the late 1990s and the 2000s and how laws have changed, and our culture has shifted from not just hating sin to being okay with sin to being open to sin to now we embrace and even promote sin. You say, well, that's the culture. What does that have to do with the church? I would argue the church, in a lot of ways, has moved in the same direction. You see the same patterns. Say, no, no, no. The church has to hate sin. Well, you can't, what? How could we do that? Israel did it. Israel did it. And they were told over and over and over. This is what displeases God. God hates these things. And they're like, oh, God, you're right. They bow down to him and they have a prophet sent to him. And then before you know it, they're starting to stray from that first love. And they're partaking in idolatry and all kinds of things. And God sends another prophet and it's a cycle over and over. You say, well, Jesus didn't hate things, right? Why are we talking about hate? Hate's a strong word. And didn't you read about Jesus and the money changers? And he comes in not once but twice in his ministry. John records it as being at the beginning of his ministry. And the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk about it at the end of his ministry. He comes in and sees these people trying to sell pigeons, trying to make profit over the Jews and their sacrifices. And he says, this was supposed to be a place of prayer. You made it a den of robbers. And he throws those tables out. And we say, oh, that's righteous indignation. That's awesome. And Jesus hated The fact that God's very presence is there and people are trying to attack it. They're trying to make money off of it. And he's saying, I hate the things my father hates. You have trashed his house. He loved what the father loved. He hated what the father hated. Anything that's a direct assault on God, he hates. Listen, anyone comes up to you enough and pushes you in the chest, eventually you say, knock it off. And that's what happens when even the church is indifferent towards sin because every single sin hurts someone. This ain't about you or the person you might sin against. It guarantee baseline every single sin hurts God. It's pushing God in the chest over and over and over and over. And God's saying, man, you can't ever say that you love me if you don't hate sin. Because it's our sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. It's God's love that sent him there. But it's our sin that nailed him there. You can't say I receive that love if you don't hate the sin that he died for. So, as we walk through this tonight, I want you to take a look at your own life. Maybe you've got some lingering sin issues. Maybe you've got some major sin issues that you're just not dealing with. And I think... Uh, there is power in the gospel to heal and transform and to change our lives. Verse 4. We'll walk through um, all six or seven of these verses and then uh, pick through them a little bit closer. Verse 4 said, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. So there's that practice of sinning. Remember, when you're reading the Word of God, look for themes and look for uh, repetition. Practice of sinning. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning, and no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Now, little children... Let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Now, we're not talking Gandhi, right? The whole of Scripture teaches us only through Christ are you saved. Um, But those who are in Christ practice righteousness. Whoever makes a practice of sinning, there you go, repetition, practice of sinning, is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Oh, that rhymes, doesn't it? That's good. That should have been the name of this sermon. Anyway, the reason... The Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And no one born of God, so we hear children born of God, uh, makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. So the theme of new life and rebuke of sin. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. In that very end, 
love his brother leads us into uh, the context for next week's message. But this is serious stuff. If you just take this passage by itself and you just read this and say, I'm just coming with a fresh perspective. I just, uh, just, I just want to know what does the Bible say and how can I actually follow Jesus? On one hand, this gives you incredible assurance. On the other hand, it scares you to death. <laughs> it scares you to death. So let's walk through this and see what God's going to teach us. Verse 4 said that everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Remember the word practice we talked about last week means to perform or to continue on in. Sin is lawlessness. First thing we see tonight, we'll stop four times uh, in these verses. And the first thing that we see is that we don't practice sinning anymore. Children of God don't practice sin because it's an abuse of grace. It's a misunderstanding of what true grace is. Now, he says everyone. <laughs> so nobody's excluded from this. We're talking to everyone who claims to be a Christian that makes a practice of sinning. Sinning being missing the mark when it comes to God's standards and will for our lives. Also practices lawlessness. Now, this word lawlessness in the Greek, it's anomia. And that means all, it means without and then law. So it's without law. It's a complete disregard for the rules. So here's what is kind of scary uh, for the false teachers who, who were trying to deceive the people in Ephesus. Is it wasn't that they were immoral. It was that they were amoral. So immorality is when you and I know what's right and wrong, and we just choose wrong. Amoral is when you say, you know what? You can follow Jesus. You can have new life in Christ. You can trust that he died on the cross. And just not even care about God's standards at all. And just say, I'm amoral. I'm without morality. And this is what they were teaching. This is what they believed. They thought, okay, if Jesus did what he did on the cross, man, you're free. This is grace. You can do what you want. Some of us have, have believed that at times in our lives. Like, what does it matter if I fall into sin? I'm forgiven still, right? Well, yeah. Well, then, I mean, technically, I can kind of do what I want. Or we say, well, I'm not under that Old Testament law anymore, right? Jesus freed us from that. Well, I, I guess I can kind of do what I want. No, you can't do what you want. That's an abuse of grace, an abuse of grace. They say, well, Jesus died so that we don't have to live under that law, that Old Testament law, what we call the law of Moses, not just the Ten Commandments, but all the other standards and rules and regulations that come with it. Well, true, he fulfilled the law of Moses. He said, not one of these letters in this law is going to pass away, right? But, but I fulfilled the law of Moses so that, if you look at Galatians 6, you see, you and I can live under the law of Christ. So it's not that we're going from living under the law to not living under any law. No, but it changes. You see, the law in the Old Testament is broken up into three primary sections. You've got the, the moral law of God. This is things like don't murder, right? Those things have never changed, right? Pre-Jesus' death on the cross, post-Jesus' death on the cross, it's still the same. That's God's moral law. And then you've got God's civil law. So here's the regulations for riding your donkey down the street and don't go more than five miles an hour. Things he gave to the Jewish people to help them live in society. And then his judicial law will also, uh, for them, ceremonial law. The things When you're in the temple, here's what you do. Um, so you wash your hands and, and you do some things to make you clean. These are things that we don't have anymore. We don't have ceremonial law and we don't have the civil law because those were specific to the Jewish people in a specific point in time. But God's moral law has never gone away. Matter of fact, the law of Christ actually ups the game when it comes to God's moral standards for Christians. Why? Because the spirit in you is greater than even the letter of the law. The spirit of God, the indwelling Holy Spirit... On top of his moral law, man, it takes things to another level. You look at the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, and what do you see Jesus saying, right? These are teachers who wanted to catch him in a lie or catch him saying something against the Old Testament law. And Jesus ups it. He says, y'all have heard you shouldn't commit adultery. And I tell you, what? That if you even lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. 
boom. The spirit of the law is even greater than the letter of the law. You heard, don't murder someone. I'm telling you, if you're angry with them in here, you've already murdered them. So when people say we're not under the law anymore, that we're under the law of Christ, the spirit of God in us will convict us in ways that might be more strict than we ever had with the letter of the law. There's um, two heresies, two false teachings uh, back then and here. Now, this isn't limited to, but things that we see even today in regards to how does rules and commandments and the law, how, how does that fit into the life of the believer? Like, do, do we follow it? Do we not? What, what does it mean? Two heresies that you guys are probably going to be familiar with, at least one of them. First one is legalism. How many of you are familiar with legalism? But most of us. Now, here's the thing. Legalism is kind of twisted because if you grow up in a church or you're around people who simply want to obey Jesus, if you don't like it, sometimes you just say, well, you're a legalist. Quit being a legalist. Now, there's a big difference between actually following Jesus and saying that your works save you. That's what a legalist would do, would say your works or your good deeds save you. If you don't do X, Y, and Z, you can't be saved. That's a true legalist is that your works are tied to your salvation. Someone who just holds the standards of God, that's not a legalist. That's probably a pretty solid Christian, right? And then there's another one, and it goes off that Greek word without law, the antinomiast or the antinomianism heresy. And this is the idea that grace is essentially a license for sin, that you are without law, that we as Christians, we don't live under anything, that the Old Testament law is gone and we just have free reigns. They saw it as an opportunity to do what you want. People don't know what to do with grace because it sounds so good. When Martin Luther 500 years ago in the Protestant Reformation said, you are saved by grace alone. We look at that and we say, amen, Martin Luther. You know what the Catholic Church said to Martin Luther? They said, you are an antinomian. You are without the law. It sounds too good. Like, you ain't got to do anything. People don't know what to do with grace. You see, grace isn't a free pass. It's a free gift. It's not a free pass. It's a free gift. People look at the law, they look at God's commands, and they say, that's a buzzkill. But you can even look in the Old Testament, read Psalm 119. Those guys say, this is life. <laughs> I delight in your decrees. It's not a buzzkill, it's life. Obedience is life. You can't tell me if you've got a child that, that when they obeyed you, that it didn't bring a smile to your face. And when they knew they did something right, in your eyes, you can't tell me that it didn't bring a smile to their face. There's joy in that. It's one thing to be around each other, to get along with each other. It's another thing to love one another in a way that compels you to obey and to serve one another. It takes intimacy to a whole other level. Sigh. when we're playing, when daddy comes home and we're playing, we're having fun and we're giggling, we're laughing, Sometimes he thinks he can get away with anything. Because like he knows all day long when mama's home, he's got rules. But when daddy comes home, he looks at it as a break, right? You know how that goes. And so it's that constant tension. You don't want to be good cop, bad cop, but like it just kind of sometimes naturally happens. And so we'll be playing and we'll run to his playroom and I'll run down the hall and he'll be like, oh yeah, this is awesome. And he's so excited. And then we'll be like, all right, buddy, what do you want to do? And we'll be playing in his room and he will start to view it. Uh, this fun that we're having as a free pass to do what he wants. Usually it starts by this. He'll, he'll take a ball and he'll just kind of chuck it across the room. Sometimes he'll throw it up like the ceiling fan and he'll look at me real quick. Do this number like, like he wants to know, are you going to stop me or can I do what I want? Like, cause we're having fun, right? Can I, can I do what I want? And I gotta, I gotta stop the fun for a second and say, buddy, you know, you can't do that. You know, you can't just chuck the ball at whatever you want. You can't hit the lights. You can't throw it in the ceiling fan, Right? 
Because time and time again, he's chucked his balls and my head and hit me and made things awkward between us because I've had to stop and say, buddy, you just smacked me in the face with your ball. I love you, but why did you do that? I'm sorry, daddy. And it's, it's weird, right? It's weird. And with God, a close relationship with him doesn't mean freedom from boundaries, but it's best protected within boundaries. Let me encourage you in two things. Number one, make sure that you don't ever buy into the idea that the Old Testament, this is easy for us as Christians to sum up and to say, don't say, the Old Testament was the covenant of law, and now we're just under a covenant of grace. We don't have law. No, there's a whole bunch of grace in that Old Testament one, a whole bunch of commands in that New Testament. Make sure, make sure that you don't ever tell someone, hey, here's what Christianity is. It's, first and foremost, not about, it's not a list of do's and don'ts. Well, you're right in that it's much more than that, but it's not less than that. <laughs> it's not without that. It's not without that. We don't sin because we don't abuse grace. Verse 5, and then also verse 8, the second half of it said, You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Second thing we see is if you practice sinning and you're a believer, then it nullifies the work of Jesus on the cross. It nullifies the work of Jesus on the cross. Not for all of us in general in mankind, but for you who claim to be in him. John's saying, it don't matter for you. He attacks two things right off the bat. Number one, remember, uh, the false teaching that they had was called docetism. And it was this idea that Jesus, was, that what they were teaching was that Jesus did not appear as a real human being on earth, that he was essentially an angel. Therefore, again, his death didn't mean anything because he didn't really shed his blood. He couldn't really be raised from the dead. They could not understand because um, this Gnostic idea that all material matters are evil, the body is evil, and spiritually, uh, spiritual stuff is the only way that you can be pure. And you got this by this greater knowledge of God. And, And so when you see words like he appeared, this is John poking back at the false teacher saying he was really here. He really lived on earth. He wasn't just an angel. He wasn't a hologram or something weird. He appeared in order to take away sins, to remove them. Because in him, there is no sin. See, he he was sinless, and so he offered himself as the perfect sacrifice. And verse 8 said that he appeared, again, he appeared to destroy the works of, of the devil. He appeared to destroy the works of the devil. So he attacks their false teaching that Jesus didn't really appear. And then he also attacks the idea that you could somehow be freed from the consequences of your past sin, but not the power of your current sin. Because when Jesus died, he died for both. The works of the devil to take away your former sins, but also your current struggles as well. Essentially what John's saying is, why even claim to be a Christian? Why even claim to be a Christian if you don't believe that Jesus conquered in victory sin and death? Why even claim? Like That's like winning the lottery and telling everyone about it, but never cashing the check. Never cashing that ticket. Like, well, what, what does it matter? And these false teachers are trying to convince him that he didn't really, didn't really live. He wasn't really a person. He didn't really shed his blood. So there's no power in that. That's so sad. There's no power in that. Because if you don't view sin as the problem, you'll never view the cross as the solution. And this is what the issue is. You know, our culture today, we hate talking about hellfire and brimstone kind of preaching, right? We don't want to talk about repentance. We don't want to talk about sin. It's not popular because it doesn't work with the tolerant mindset that we have. Nobody wants to be told they're wrong. But when you'd stop as a church, as disciples, 
When you stop talking about sin, you've taken all the power out of the cross. You've taken all the power out of the cross. Because why else would he have died? And ain't nobody going to be set free if you don't address the issues that we have and what he's done to remedy those issues. One commentator said that the task of Jesus was to undo whatever the devil had achieved and to thwart whatever he tries to do. That from the beginning, the old devil has been trying to trick God's people into believing they can poke, 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 push, 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 sin against him and still be good with him. And it's happening on a daily basis. Let me, let me show you something. Anyone know what that is? It's an air filter. For, for my car the other day, the dealership a while back had said, you know, they mark on the, the list of all the things that they see um, wrong. And, you know, oh, you got enough of this, you got enough of this, got enough of this. Notice they said, you need an air filter. I was like, well, let's just replace it. You know, I, I was like, whatever. So I, I went to the store and I got an air filter, not even seeing the old one. Like, I didn't, I didn't even know that, that it was that bad. But I knew that my gas mileage wasn't that good. Like they say, it should get 38 miles to the gallon, get like 30 on the highway. I'm like, man, that's weird. I, I knew that it wasn't running perfect. And so I went and got an air filter. And when I took it out, I threw it on the ground. And I threw the new one next to it just to show how nasty. Just the comparison of this new one compared to the old one was crazy to me. I've changed a bunch of air filters in my life. And that's a, that's a dirty, nasty air filter. Now, what if I told you? <laughs> what if I told you I put this one back in the car? What would you say? You say, how crazy. Say, what's the point? See, matter of fact, you're actually worse off now than you were before because you know there's an alternative and yet you're sticking with the junk. That's what John's saying. It's a scary place to be to know of the cross of Christ and the power and yet still sit in your sin that you've been struggling with for how long? Say, what's the point of a new life if you ain't going to walk in a new life? There's power. There's victory. Let me ask you. Guessing that most of y'all have placed your faith in Jesus. You trust him for salvation, but you're struggling with some of the stuff that's currently happening in your life. Let me ask you, is is there parts of your life right now that you know? The old devil's got a stronghold in. And, and you're having a hard time seeing it broken. God wants access to those parts of your life. He, listen, he wants you to testify as much about what happened today with his power as 20 years ago in kids camp when you said, I want to follow Jesus. He, he wants a testimony in both. Verse 6, no one who abides, remember the word abides means to, to live or to remain in, abides in him, keeps on sinning. And no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. And whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Third thing we see is we don't practice sinning because it shows whose side you're on. It shows whose side you're on. John's saying, if you walk like a duck, if you quack like a duck, if you act like a duck, you're probably a duck. (laughs) He's saying, if you continue to sin, you're just like the old devil who's been doing it since the beginning. That's scary. This is scary. 
John's saying, you can't abide in him. You cannot, church. You can't tell me. You can't show up on Sunday and lift your arms and say, praise Jesus, he's amazing, and then go live some separate life of sin. Like, you can't have that. You can't say, man, I'm in the word. I'm talking to him. I'm hearing from him. I love him. He loves me. We got something close and good. You can deceive yourself, you do. But you can't like really have it and still be living in sin. Our culture loves this. We love the idea that, you know what, I, I, I can have a good thing with God, but Monday through Friday I gossip at work like crazy and it's been unaddressed for years and I'm just going to let it stay that way. Like, and, we, and we say, you know what, I'm good with 90% of what's going on in my life, but I do have about 10% that, that I haven't really let God have access to. I'm telling you what, that'll suck the life right out of you. You say, man, uh, you see this in, in teenagers all the time and college students. I'm good with God. I, I, I'm worshiping God. But man, I'm messing around with my girlfriend. I'm messing around with my boyfriend. And we've just come to terms with this is what young people do. And until we're married, we're just going to get used to it. We justify leaving that 10% over here and not letting God touch it because the 90% seems like it's going pretty well. And that's pretty good, right? God's saying, I want all of you. I want all of you. It's crazy to me that when you even mention the word sin or sinner, knowing they're synonymous with condemnation and hell, how little it does to us today. Like if, if, you, if someone says, oh, let's talk about sin, let's talk about sinner. Like for most of us, okay. Okay. Matter of fact, in some ways, we've made it cool. This is, this is like the new Christian testimony. This is how we relate to each other nowadays, is to say things like, I used, I used to have a gal in the church plant in Utah all the time. Every, anytime something bad happened, anytime she, she made a mistake, she'd, she'd smile and she'd say, I'm, a, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And I was just scratching my noggin. I'm like, it feels weird that you could smile and just like chalk it up to, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Yeah, we all make mistakes. We all got junk. John acknowledges that. But like, you sinner saved by grace. The Bible says you're a saint. Well, I'm not, I'm not a saint. It don't matter what you say. The Bible says you're either a sinner apart from Christ or you are a saint. Now, it doesn't mean that sinners can't do saintly things and saints can't do some messed up things once in a while. Because like, we know that, unfortunately, those paths cross. But you start saying and thinking you are something long enough and you'll start walking in that. You say, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. The next time you're in temptation and you've got to make a decision and you're thinking, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. What are you more likely to step into compared to, you know what? I'm a child of God. He calls me holy. He's got his spirit in me. He says I can walk in power. I can walk in victory. He calls me an overcomer. He says that I'm going to overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of his testimony. What are you more likely to walk in when that's what you're thinking? It's crazy how much even in the Christian culture we have exalted the work of the old devil in ways that we don't realize. Let me, let me challenge you, and this is going to get uncomfortable for a second if it wasn't already for you. It's just churches in general. What's the cool thing nationwide when it comes to churches? Right now, one of the cool things is to be accepting of all people. Now, you know what I mean. We should accept all people, Right? Like every single person in this world that wants to come in and worship with us, let's worship with them. But you know what I'm talking about. The cool thing is to accept people in their sin so they can stay in their sin and still claim to have what you have in Christ. That's what's cool right now. To say we're a progressive Christian community. Matter of fact, I um, this feels uncomfortable even coming out of my mouth. Um, and I debated not even bringing this up as an example, but I, I, this is just, this is our nation right now. I just saw there's a church in Vermont 
that they're taking this Broadway spoken word um, monologue um, called the <laughs> women's anatomy. You can think of different terms for that monologue. That, that is known as a vulgar display of a woman's experience and her anatomy. And there's a church in Vermont that is hosting this and opening it up to the community. You can picture, like, they made signs, and she's for saying, come, join us for this. And when the pastor was asked about it in this article, he just said, you know, we're a progressive Christian community of transgender, gay, lesbian, da 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 stuff. It's like, what? When it comes to basic fundamental truths don't change, there's no such thing as progressive being good. <laughs> like, that's a, like, when you get the right thing, you don't progress from it. You don't change. That's what churches are. You think about even small groups. We love grow groups, small group ministry, right? But what, and I've been a part of a lot of small groups, what is the primary way that most of us in church community relate to each other and connect with each other in? Even if you go weekly and you meet with a small group of people, what's it going to be? It's going to be, we're sinners. It's going to be, how you guys, you guys all right? You've been struggling this week? Let's share our struggles. Uh, let's start, and that's great. There, there's, there's a good element of that, right? But here's what I found. We stay in that. And no one ever talks about the power of God, the victory. And like, there's no testimony of, you know what, I've been struggling with this, but here's how I overcame it in Christ. And so most of our conversations in many cases, even in, in church is, hey, you, hey, you're still struggling with this, right? Kind of massage the shoulders, right? And, and then the best we can say is, yeah, I got my own struggles too. And we connect and relate on the fact that we're sinners and we exalt the work of the devil more than the work of Christ. If we were going to do that, why don't we just stay in the world? <laughs> what, is, what does the church have to offer? Right? Like you, you can watch the news if you want to exalt the work of the enemy. But the church says, we got something. We got Jesus. You look at a pastor right now. What's the cool thing for pastors to do? Is to be transparent and authentic. Now, there's some good stuff in that, right? But sometimes it gets crazy to where pastors are, are not only confessing sin, but exalting their own sin in ways that it's like, is anyone a, an example of victory anymore? Like, like, it's good to have a pastor who can say, I got struggles. We all got struggles. You don't want them to be in la-la land thinking that you don't have struggles. But it's become so cool to exalt the struggle and not the victory. So when you practice sinning, when the church exalts our brokenness, and we stop at that, if it's a gateway into victory, great. But when we stop at just exalting the brokenness, we're exalting the works of the devil. And it shows whose side you're on. Let me ask you this. As we move on to this last couple of verses. I mentioned it a few minutes ago. I'll ask you again. What in your life recently have you seen victory in? That you can testify and say, God is good. Like, God didn't just save me seven years ago, 20 years ago. Here's what God did this week. Man, I trusted him. He, he called me into repentance. He drew me in by his spirit. I, I, I found power in his word in his community, and I'm finding. It's a battle, but I'm finding victory. In this area that used to plague me, that the old devil had a stronghold in my heart. Something maybe I thought I'd never get over. But I could testify, God is helping me today. Is there anything in your life that you can testify about? Of his power today? If not, that's kind of scary. Last but not least, no one born of God, verse 9, makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. And by this it is evident who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, 
So in other words, this is the whole theme of this whole book. If you want to follow Jesus, you got to actually follow Jesus. <laughs> you got to actually follow him. Nor is the one who does not love his brother. Fourth thing and last thing we see tonight is we don't practice sinning because we have a new spiritual DNA. A new spiritual DNA. Look at all this terminology. He says, you've been born of God. He says it twice. He says that, that we're children of God. That God's seed abides in us. What is his seed? His Holy Spirit that has sealed us and lives in us. Therefore, he cannot keep on sinning. When his Holy Spirit lives in you and claims you as his own, you're a new person, you're a new creation. And you cannot be okay with continuing on in sin. There will be crazy turmoil in your life. If you say, you know what? I don't want to give up my old life. I don't want to give up my old life. More so than ever, you look at the evangelical community in the last 50 years. We have, what we've done, it used to be turn from your sin and follow Jesus and have eternal life. Now it's mostly follow Jesus. He's awesome. And we leave out the turn from your sin part. And so people start thinking they can bring their luggage and junk into a new walk with him. And he, he's saying, wait, didn't anyone ever tell you this is part of the deal? They're like, I'm going to help you get rid of this old life so you can walk in a new life. You can't just add a new life onto an old life. It doesn't work that way. You got a new spiritual DNA. He said, this is kind of depressing, isn't it? I thought this whole book and this whole passage was supposed to give me assurance of salvation. And it kind of makes me question things more than ever. Well, keep in mind, insecurity can be something that the devil uses to trick you. Or it could be something that God's getting your attention with and saying, you should be insecure right now. So not all insecurity is bad. But he wants his people to have some assurance. But who can live up to this standard? Well, as we move towards the end, I want to kind of pull all this together by answering this question. When we talk about practicing sinning, knowing this, John, this is where context is key. John has already told us in chapter one, if you claim to be without sin, you're a liar. So he's saying every person in this room struggles with sin. Like we, we get it. We get it. So he knows there's sin. On top of that, his exhortations throughout this book are don't sin. So he knows there's a struggle of continuing in sin. So you don't have to, if you're, if you're here tonight and you're saying, I can't live up to this standard. I can't be a Christian. Who's he talking about when he says practicing sinning? Like, is that me or is that not me? How do I know? Well, scholars will give you four um, different positions or understandings of this possible meanings when we talk about who is John referring to when it comes to practicing sin. The first one is those who willfully sin. So this is the group of people who say, you know what? I know what God says. I know what his word is. I'm going to go against it. I'm just going to deliberately go against it. Here's the problem, though, with just that is sometimes it's hard to know what's an intentional sin versus an ignorant sin. Like, for instance, most of us in this room know that gluttony is a sin. And yet we still like Cracker Barrel, don't we? <laughs> like we'll, we'll go to Coyote Canyon and, and we'll eat and we'll even say, oh, this is great. Come on. Hey, eat some more, eat some more. And we'll encourage each other to partake in sin. And then we'll say, huh, maybe, maybe we should have done that. But then we'll do it next time we go to Coyote Canyon again, right? Like we'll, we'll, we'll get back into it. Was that a sin done intentionally or unintentionally? Well, I didn't intentionally want to do that, but, right, but didn't you know about it? So sometimes that's hard. If we just say, it's those who willfully sin deliberately against God. Well, sounds like everyone could be in that boat. Second one would be, another theory would be habitual sin. So for those who have continual strongholds, issues where, hey, you, you've got um, 
this particular sin in your life and it just continues over and over and over. Habitually. Problem with that is, there's, pro- there's probably people in this room right now who have struggled with the same particular sin for years and yet they still desperately desire to break free from it. So their heart's in the right place. And they might even be making progress in it. What about those folks? The third one is the ideal character position. The scholars would say, John is referring to people, uh, all of us, who say, hey, we can't ever fully be holy on earth. We can't ever fully live up to the standards of God. But... It's the ideal character for the Christian, even though no Christians meet that standard. And so we're just going to strive for it, knowing that we're going to fail. But it's better to strive for it than to not do anything at all, right? There's there's some truth to that. Um, The problem is it kind of breeds hopelessness. (laughs) Because you're just like, what does it even matter? If I can't ever reach it, oh well. And the days that I don't do very well with it, I knew they were coming. Like it's, just, it's, it's a little bit hopeless. And the last one is the new man position. And this is all those verses talking about us being a new creation, having a new heart. Ezekiel 36 promises this is part of the new covenant. The idea that spiritually you have been made perfect. The issue with this is, how would you ever, if you are spiritually perfect in Christ, and you say, well, you, you can't practice it, how would you ever explain even one sin? If you've been made brand new, how, how could we even commit one sin? We know that we live in an earth, in a body that draws us towards sin. So what's the answer? Well, the truth is, there's a little bit of truth in all of these things, but trust God and his word when he says, we are not spiritually schizophrenic. We are either those um, who have a sin nature and we are far from God, or we, through faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done, are children of God, and, and, and we have that identity. Again, doesn't mean that we can't be pulled in one direction or another, but he doesn't say you have two natures. He says you got one, and if he calls you a child of God, you get to choose to walk in that, knowing all the well until Jesus comes back or you go to see him face to face. There is a spiritual gravitational pull from the enemy to try to get you to walk in that old life. And believers stumble, do we not? But that's not your primary identity. Jesus doesn't say, you're a stumbler. The word of God says we're we're children of God, even though we do stumble. The big difference, though, is our hearts. I um, I'll I'll share this story real quick. The other day, um, Silas, uh, we were FaceTiming with my mom and dad, and. Uh, they were watching Silas play, whatnot, and he said, "Daddy, I want to be a ballerina." And I, I was like, "Yeah, I don't know what to say." I knew my parents were waiting to see how I would address this issue, and I said, "I said, dude, why don't you try basketball or football or something?" And I, and then he said, "Yeah, but I want to be a ballerina." And he started spinning, and he, I said, "Why? What do you like about being a ballerina?" And he, he said, I like to spin. And stuff. I was like, okay. So he's attracted to the athleticism, not necessarily the gender confusion or the outer garments that you wear. So that, that made me feel a little bit good inside. And then I, without thinking much about it, said, buddy, dude, you can play basketball and football. It's, I said, basketball is basically, like there's spin moves involved. It's basically like being a ballerina except with a basketball and a hoop. I'm like, that's weird. And I said, no, buddy, why don't you play football? And then I quickly realized, like, well, football, man, to be a running back, wide receiver, I guess you're spinning around, you're trying to get from one place to another. It's all about athleticism and balance, coordination. I said, it's basically like being a ballerina with a football and shoulder pads. And then my parents were kind of paused for a second, and I realized in that moment, like, my world was shattered because, like, oh, my gosh. Basketball. It's like ballet <laughs> with different clothes on 
and an end zone or a hoop. I mean, there's a way more in common than I guess I ever realized. I never really thought about it that much. And then I thought, but there's a huge difference. So why don't you just play basketball or football? Why? Because anyone who knows from the outside, yeah, you could dumb it down. It doesn't look that much different. Spin moves, athleticism, coordination, scoring. But anyone who's ever been in it knows on the inside, there's a huge difference between these sports. Listen, every one of us has sin issues. We know it. But the difference between Christians who simply struggle compared to the people he's referring to who practice sin and don't really know Jesus as Lord and Savior, the big difference is what's going on in here and that new heart that God has given us. That if he's given you a heart, when you placed your faith in him, that says, I want to please God. I want to serve God. I want to follow God. I want to seek holiness. I want to turn from my life. And you see yourself moving in that direction, empowered by his Holy Spirit every step of the way. There's a huge difference between a Christian who's simply struggling and one of these guys. And only you know your heart. I can't tell you what your heart is. Only you know your heart. Guys, this is, this is what kids do. We love what God loves and we hate what God hates. And he loves his son and he hates sin. And the cross is the great collision between what God loves and what he hates. His son and our sin. And when you find yourself falling in love with the God of the universe, you find yourself despising the sin that poke, 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 assaults him daily. We hate sin. It's good to hate sin because we love God. Let's pray.